So we've been in a series called War. Um, and it's this entire idea of how many of you guys know that there are all kinds of temptations and sinful desires and lusts and all those things as soon as you walk out of this door, right? And, and so we've been kind of discussing the idea of what does it take to actually fight against those things because we know that desire is a very strong thing, right? So this morning what I thought I would do is actually, um, I've titled the message, The Anatomy of Sin, which is just simply this. I want to teach you this morning how sin actually works. Um, because I think a lot of times, um, many of us don't even realize how quickly it can jump upon us and how quickly we fall into temptation. But let me start off with this question. How many of you, your entire life, you have had this overwhelmingly struggle in this battle with like this just perpetual cycle of this one thing in your life. And you're like, if I could just get rid of that one thing, then I know that I would be closer to Jesus. Anybody in here brave enough to raise their hand? So many of you. I feel good. I'm not the only one. So I, I think a lot of times we have this thing that we wrestle with, and it's different for many of us. Um, but a lot of times we ask ourselves the question, like, am I going to have to be like this the rest of my life? Am I always just going to have to deal with this one thing? Am I always going to fall into this? And so what I want to prepare you for this morning is just to kind of break down what sin looks like and hopefully prepare you for when it does come crouching at your door. And when it does come, we know what to expect and we know the scheming ways of the enemy. Here's the thing that I've learned about sin. It is deceptive, it's divisive, and ultimately it's destructive. It's deceptive, it's divisive, and it's destructive. Um, the, the, the crazy thing about sin is this. Um, oftentimes, Satan deceives us into thinking that what we're doing is not sin. So, so here's, the, um, here's the tricky thing about sin. A lot of us are living a lives thinking that we're living this good, upstanding, moral life. In reality, we're living a life of sin, and we don't even realize it. We don't even realize it. Um, and, and so that's the deception that the enemy is going to play into. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 12 simply says this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands. So a man that thinks he's upright, he says, take heed lest he fall. So he said, watch out. You may get to a place where you, you're saying, hey, man, life is good, life is smooth. But then he's saying, hey, watch out because it's going to come. So here's the deal. Every failure to fight temptation can be traced back to Genesis chapter it can every failure to fight temptation, and when temptation comes and, and you're kind of playing this war, this battle, should I do it, should I not, should I wrestle, or should I just give in? When we fall into it, everything can be traced back to Genesis chapter 3. And so before we, what, we're, what I'm going to do this morning is we're going to just read chapter 3, and I'm going to take it pretty much sentence by sentence and explain to you pretty much what's going on. But before we do that... I think I want to point something out to you guys in Genesis chapter 2, um, verses 16 through 17. And one thing that I want you to take note before I read this is simply this. So, for five days, God has been creating. Okay, he's been creating stars, he's been creating planets, he's been creating animals, all this stuff. And then, eventually, he comes on the sixth day and he creates man. And so, I don't know, I'm not um, a historian or a theologian or anything like that, but we don't know how long Adam was on the earth before Eve was actually created. But we do know that he was kind of lonely and he looked all around and he could not find something that was comparable to him. 
And one interesting thing that happens is God says, just to Adam, keep in mind, Eve was not even created yet, and this is what God says to Adam. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, one thing interesting to, to point out, and I thought it was kind of funny, is that um, Adam is now responsible whenever Eve is created to telling Eve, do not eat from this tree. So just a simple side note, because when God is giving Adam this command, Eve has not even been created yet. So if you have a Bible with me, turn to Genesis chapter 3, um, verse 1. And the reason that, I know we've got this huge screen on stage, um, but I would encourage you to bring maybe a smartphone or a Bible. And the only reason that I want to do that is not so that it's easier for you to follow along. Many of you probably can't even see it here, right? Um, so you, you, you look at that. But the, one of the reasons that I want to encourage you to bring it is so you see that these words that we're reading and what we're teaching is not me making it up. Okay, I want you to see that this is actually in the Bible, and I haven't twisted any of these words, and I have not changed them or anything. I was talking with some guys outside right before service, and I think a lot of times people base this framework not specifically on the Bible, but on it. And, and so they'll be like, yeah, you know that verse in, in uh, Proverbs chapter 2, like, I have a dream. Now that's Martin Luther King, it's not the Bible. So, so many people don't know the Bible, and so what I want you to do is encourage you to bring your Bible so you know that these words that we're reading, we're not making them up. So, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, now I want you to notice this, this is important. So the serpent comes up, he comes to the woman, and he says, did God actually say, did, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? So a few things that I want to point out with this verse is, one, that temptation comes suddenly. It just comes when we're, when we're least expecting it. Chapter 3, it doesn't get set up. It doesn't say like Eve was like in the garden and she was feeling down and then a snake comes. It just literally says, now the serpent was more crafty. Chapter 3 opens up, temptation is there. It's just right there. And the second thing I want you to notice is this. The serpent questions God's word. He, he says, does God actually say? Does God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And I want you to notice he's twisting the Bible here. Because here's what does God say in Genesis chapter 2. He says, Adam, you can eat of any tree in the garden. You can eat of any tree in the garden except for one. Now look, look what Satan does. He says, did God really say you can't eat of any tree? He, he twists it. He twists it. The temptation to give in to sinful desire works the same way. It works the same way. Temptation usually presents itself when we least expect it and causes us to ask, did God really say that? Did God really say that it's that bad? Did God really say that it is going to affect my life? All of sin can be traced back to this simple question. Did God actually say? Did, did God really mean what he said? I, I don't know. I think I'm going to question it. And this is what, the, well, this is what Satan is going to do when he's dealing with us in sin and temptation. He's going to present something into our heart that causes us to question, does God really want good for me? 
I don't, I don't think he does. I don't think God really understands my situation. I don't really think God understands my past. I don't really think God knows what I'm going through. Did God really say that he would take care of me and provide for me and protect me? Does God not see my financial situation? Does God not see my marriage? Does God not see my job? Did God really say that he would be there for me? Did, did God really say that he would be faithful even when I'm not? I don't know. I have a hard time believing it. Do you see how this works? Did, when you begin to question, now you come to the other side of going, you know what? It's not a big deal because I'm not really sure if God loves me. I'm not really sure if God's going to provide for me and take care of me, so I might as well just give in. Let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 3, verses 2. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said... You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. In Genesis chapter 2, did God say not to touch it? He said nothing about touching it. So notice now, Satan twists the words, and now Eve is confused. So Satan twists it, and now Eve is going, well, God said we can't eat of it, and he said we can't touch it. God said nothing about touching it. He says, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, now here's, here's the deal. Um, it's kind of a half-truth and a half-lie. And, and oftentimes, this is exactly what the enemy does. Because here's, here's what the devil's doing. He's going, you're not going to die if you eat of it. Well, that's part true. Eve's going to bite of the fruit, whatever it was, and she's not going to instantly die, but now there's going to be repercussions. She's going to grow old, she's going to age, and she's going to die, and she doesn't get to spend forever with Jesus walking on the earth. So she is going to die, but not in that moment. And, and here's what I find. We talked about it last week. Here's what I find. Oftentimes, when sin approaches us, we end up trading eternal gain for momentary pleasures. We say, in this moment, it makes sense. In this moment, it feels like God has left me, so I'm going to grab life and put it in my own hands. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps and make it happen. I'm going to make it work. Anybody in here, you're just like, you're not patient. I'm like, every, everything in me. Like, I am the, I, I ashamedly say it, but I get in the car and I become a different person. <laughs> So if I flipped you off, I'm just kidding. I've never done that. But when I get in the car, I become a totally different person. So somebody, my, my wife, honestly, she'll tell you she hates driving with me. She, she, like, she should have a break right there. Um, but I become a totally different person. And when I'm driving, it's all about me and what I've got to get to. And I'm going to be late. Or I don't like sitting behind this person. And good night. Should they just ban all 18-wheelers from the road? I can't stand big trucks. <laughs> if you drive trucks, I'm sorry. <laughs> but she, the devil begins to say, Eve, you're not going to die. You're not going to die, and it's partially true, but at the other hand, she doesn't realize the repercussions that are waiting for her. So, so not only does the serpent twist God's word, he begins to cause Eve to doubt the God who has provided absolutely everything for her. It, this question begins to present itself to Eve, and it goes something like this. Eve, you know why God doesn't want to eat 
he, he doesn't want you to eat of the tree. You know what? He's holding back from you, Eve. Eve, he, he doesn't really love you. He's not really going to take care of you. He's holding something back. He has secrets. And if you eat of that tree, then you'll be exactly like God. If you take this into your own hands, then you'll be up there with Him. And He doesn't want you to be like Him. And this question begins to present itself to Eve. Does God really love me like He says? You know, an interesting thing about sin is simply this. And I think, I'll give you an example in a moment. But imagine being the only two human beings in the garden and having every tree to eat from, and you're only focused on one. It's exactly what sin does. God has given you all these provisions and all these relationships and all these things where he's taking care of you and providing for you. But because we give in to sin and because we give in to temptation, now we become narrow-minded. It, it kind of works like this. The best example that I can give you is in marriage. So, so you come to a place where you like, remember when you're dating and you're engaged? And for me, it was like, I want her. Thank you, God, for creating her. I want that. <laughs> I want her. And, and then you get married, and, and what happens? The spark begins to rub off, right? And if you're not careful, what happens? Now this other wanting kicks in. Okay, now I got her. What's next? What's next? Because now there's all these other things out there. And this is exactly what Eve's going through. Man, I've had every other tree, but I haven't had this one. I've had everything else, but I've never tasted this one. I wonder what it's like. Do you see the layers here in this verse? There's three things. The devil says, you're not going to die. Eve, you're not going to die. So Eve accepts the truth, the lie over truth. Then there's another part of the verse that says, God knows when you eat of it. Ultimately, Eve comes to a place where she says, you know what? God doesn't want good for me. He, he, he must be holding something back. And the second part, your eyes will be opened. Satan said, your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to see things in a whole new light. And ultimately, he's making promises that he can never keep. And that's oftentimes what sin does. It promises you everything, the extravagant life, great living, pleasure. And he promises it to you, and he promises it to you. And then when you take of it, it's nothing like what you thought it would be. Let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. See, now she's bought in. She's bought in. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. That's an interesting point. Adam was with her the entire time. Many people, uh, many men are like, man, thanks, woman, for screwing it all up. He's just as at fault. As a man, he didn't stand up. He didn't pull her away from that. He didn't say, no, this is wrong. This is what God actually declares. This is what God actually says. Just a little side note. Oftentimes, if, specifically in marriage, if you are married, God is always going to go to the weaker vessel first to try to get you to fall. Even, the, the snake doesn't go to Adam Right? Uh, what do, let me give you a, a good for instance. Now, what do women do when they see snakes? Ah! What do men do when they see snakes? It's like something, well, 
Most men. What do most men do when they see snakes? I remember I was walking into um, our, our central offices in Jennings the other day, and this is, I promise you, it's not a joke. Battle Garden Snake, about this big, and I'm on the phone, and I walk in here, and I feel, Pah! something's bite me on my shoe, and it's a snake. And there is literally something, I mean, you know that adrenaline surge you get? Like my phone, I'm like, ah! I just, I mean, I stop this thing like crazy. And then, and then like, it's still dead. And as a man, you're like, what? Don't ever do that to me again. I'll kill you. Right? You go psycho. You go crazy. And then after it's killed, what do I do? I go in. I'm like, I'm not done. Where's the machete? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like I go Patreon on it. Y'all ever seen that scene? You just go psycho. Here's the thing. If, if the snake would have went to Adam, then maybe there would have been a possibility. I don't know. Maybe he could have stopped it. I, I don't know. But I want you to see the story in context for what it was. It was not just Eve by herself. The man was there. The man was there, and he did nothing. But notice, they gave in to temptation because they began to what? Doubt God. It goes back to the very beginning. Did God actually say? Did he really mean that? The tree becomes desirable to Eve because she begins to believe the twisted word rather than the true word. Eve buys in to Satan's conclusions. So what does she do? She bites the fruit and she gives it to her husband. Why did Adam eat it? Because she was a naked woman. And he's going to do whatever she says, right? That's funny. I don't care what y'all say. That's funny. So what do they do? They both give in. They both doubt. Man, they have this question. And we all give in to sin when that question begins to roll in. You know what? I, I don't really think God loves me like he says he does. I, I, I don't really think that God is going to provide for me and take care of me. And what do we do? We look at momentary circumstances and we define the rest of the course of our life by those momentary circumstances. Rather than looking at this whole thing that we call Christianity, this whole thing that we call life, and this whole thing that we call a race, is it's, man, you may be struggling right now. You may be dealing with some things right now. But just because you emotionally feel awful right now, it does not always mean that that is how God looks down upon you. So let's keep reading. Well, one, one interesting thing that I want you to note out here is the created... Adam and Eve, instead of now submitting to the Creator, they submit to the Creator. And that's what sin does. Instead of submitting to the God of the universe who has put the stars in the world into orbit, instead of trusting Him because He has been faithful before, we would rather look at something that God has created and we put our hope and trust in that. So, so how does that apply to us? Well, let me give you an example. Instead of trusting in God, what we do, we look at our bank account. And oftentimes our bank account can dictate our emotions and our feelings and our how we feel and how we're in right standing with God. Or we look at our relationships instead of looking to Jesus. In Genesis 3, 7. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves white cloths. Man. Have you ever wanted something so badly that you obsess over it? Like 
just obsess over it. You're like, I've got to have this. Maybe it's a gadget. Maybe it's a product. Maybe it's some clothes. Maybe it's some shoes. Maybe it's a car. Maybe it's a house. I don't know. Uh, a few years ago, I would, well, many years ago, I obsessed over making it in the, the film industry. I wanted to make movies. I wanted to get good at that. I wanted to do all of that. And so for years, I spent time developing this craft and learning absolutely everything that I possibly could learn. And God honestly blessed me with it. I got pretty good at it. And um, in 2010, we had some difficult times go up, and so I applied for a job in Baton Rouge, and there was about 600 applicants there. And um, out of 600 applicants, they chose my application, and I got the job working for this studio and directing different TV shows and all that. It's supposedly the dream job, right? So, I mean, I remember showing up to work and uh, would spend time in the office editing, and then literally this guy who is a multi-gazillionaire basically would fly us out on his private jet all over the world to basically film. I remember my wife used to get so frustrated because she'd be at home with two kids eating peanut butter jelly sandwiches, and I'm, like, cutting steak. <laughs> but here's the crazy thing that I learned about this, is I got what I wanted to discover it wasn't really what I wanted. Man, I obsessed over it. I thought that once I got this life, I was set. And then I did it. And it's not what I wanted. I find that, man, it pulls me away from my kids. It pulls me away from my wife. And then ultimately, I, I wasn't satisfied. I wasn't happy. I got what I finally wanted in that high wore off. My eyes were open. But the only reason that I really wanted the job is ultimately because of the fact that I wanted a claim. I wanted to be good at something. I wanted other people to say, man, you've got a talent and you're good at this. It was an insecurity. And as soon as I get it, months in, and now I'll be honest with you, as soon as I got it, it didn't kick in. It took months. It took months for it to kick in to realize that the thing that I had obsessed over, the thing that I wanted so badly was not what I wanted. But the truth is, my dream job was just my fig leaves to my insecurities. To, to the fact that I honestly was not secure enough in my relationship with Jesus. And I had some things going on in my own heart that I had not reconciled and that I had not settled in my relationship with Jesus. So here's the question that I ask you today. Do we keep buying in to temptation and giving in to sin because it's just our fig leaves? Man, do we give ourselves away to, to, to relationships, to sexual desires, to, to whatever it is, all to get approval? Is it just the fig leaves of the own insecurity in our own heart? That, man, you've been trying your entire life to figure this out? Has it ever dawned on us that the reason that we might be falling into the same things over and over again is because it's just our fig leaves? It's just our insecurity. It's just the fact that we question God saying, did you really say? Did you really say? Do, do you really care for me? Do you really love me? See, the truth is temptation comes quickly, and our eyes are opened. And when our eyes are opened, we fall. But the question is now, what do we do? What do we do when we give in to the temptation? Let me make a clarification if I haven't yet. Temptation is not sin. Everybody's going to be tempted. Jesus was tempted and never sinned. Uh, Jesus was tempted more than any of us in here would be tempted. So I want you to know that he understands what you're going through. 
Could you imagine being God in human flesh? The temptations that you would have? The question is, what do we do now? Man, you've been tempted and now you're falling. Now, now you're giving in. Now you've, you've bit the fruit. And now you don't know what to do. And now your eyes are open and, and you've tried to find the answers in yourself. You tried to find the answers in your job, in your marriage, in your relationships. And it seems like everything that you do, you, you, you come up short. So what do we do? Well, let's see what Adam did. Genesis chapter 3, 8 through 9. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to them, Where are you? A few things I want you to notice about this passage. One, they hid themselves. I think that is the natural tendency of every single human being. When you fall, what do you do? Do you want to confess? No! What do you want to do? You want to put the fig leaves on. You want to run. You want to hide. I was talking to some guys. It's, it's so heartbreaking to me. Man, you have so many people that will never walk in these doors because of the fact they literally believe before they can ever walk in these doors, they have to clean their act up. God is so far from the truth. It's so far from the truth. This is what Adam and Eve bought into. They, they, okay, before we can ever see God, before he can come to us, before he can ever do anything in our lives, we've got to hide and go and try to pick ourselves up and do right and do better and get better for God to actually love us. Man, I've got to stop sleeping with my boyfriend. I've got to stop drinking. I've got to stop doing Those things don't matter. We said it a few months ago. When it doesn't matter what issues you're going through. When you come in these doors and you have a head-on collision with Jesus, everything changes. You don't have to clean yourself up. Come, let God do the work. Listen, here's the truth. If you could have cleaned yourself up already, then why haven't you? Why haven't you? You can't. You can't. Second thing I want you to notice out of this passage is, do you really think that God didn't know what they had just done and where they were? God knows exactly what they did, and he knew exactly where they were. I believe, this is just my opinion, I believe he asked the question, where are you, for a reason. Where are you? He knows exactly what they've done, and he knows exactly where they're at, and it just displays his Father's heart. Listen, I know you just blew it, but I'm seeking you out. I'm coming for you. It's exactly how the Father responds when we give in to temptation. He's going, where are you? Come to me. Let me fix it. Don't hide when you fall. Don't hide when you give in to temptation. God is seeking you even when you're at your worst. Even when you're at your worst. Man, even when your marriage is falling apart. Even when your addictions seem like they're just taking over your life. When you're at your worst, God is you out. God knew exactly what Adam and Eve just did. He wasn't shocked. He wasn't surprised. Let's keep reading. Genesis chapter 3, 10 through 13. And he said, 
I heard the sound, this is Adam talking, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And then God said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, this is funny, the woman who you gave me, she made me do it. She made me do it. She gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? <laughs> then the woman said, the serpent, he deceived me and I ate. Now we've got the blame game going on. Right? So, so two things that I want you to notice is when we fall, or three things. When we fall, there's a tendency to hide. There's a tendency to not own up for our sin. But whatever side of the spectrum you fall at, you have God in the middle who seeks you out. No matter where you're at. No matter where you're at. If you're hiding, or if you're on the other side. Or if you're blame shifting. Wherever you're at. Remember, sin is, it is deceptive. Eve is deceived by the serpent. Sin is divisive. Adam and Eve blame each other. Now they have this quarrel between them. Now they're arguing. And sin is destructive. What eventually ends up happening, you know the story. You've heard it before. God curses the land and now everything is broken. Sin enters into the world. So, so here's the deal. I know that many of us, you know, maybe, um, many of us, have, we see the destruction in the world, right? I mean, if, if you saw the news this week, um, I mean, we came together and prayed for them, but it's unfortunate what happened in Lafayette and so close to home um, this week. And we totally pray for those families and pray that God will bring peace and healing to those families. But, but here's the thing. It's not because God is a bad God that these things happen. It's because of sin. Sin is divisive. Sin is destructive. It's what it does. It's what it does. So what's the antidote? What's the antidote? Because the truth is, many of us, we're fighting, we're warring, we're in the middle of temptation, and we're trying by our own willpower not to give in. We're trying so hard. We're trying to pick ourselves up, like I said earlier, by our bootstraps. We're trying to muster up enough willpower to not do that thing anymore. Well, man, we're trying to be a better husband. We're trying to be a better wife. We're trying to be a better father. We're trying to be a better co-worker. But it seems no matter what you do, it doesn't work. So it, is the antidote try harder, do more? Let go and let God. <laughs> Try harder, do more, let go, and let God. Here's the deal. That it doesn't work. It, it doesn't work. It's very simple. The answer is Jesus. The answer is Jesus. So listen, if you're in here this morning for the first time and you're saying, listen, okay, I kind of see this pattern. I see, how, I see how sin works. Man, I've been trying so hard. I've been trying, I've been giving all my efforts, and it seems like no matter what I do, it, it's not working. The answer is Jesus. In Matthew 6, 13, Jesus, at the end of his prayer, he says this, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Here's, here's the deal. Jesus is the deliverer. Jesus is the one that is going to set you free. 
Jesus is the one that is going to break those chains. Jesus is the one that is going to give you the power to be able to fight that temptation. Without His presence, without the Holy Spirit living inside of you and working things out, you are hopeless. You'll give in to it every single time. We need power. And that only comes from Jesus. There's only one source that will pull you out of your perpetual state of rebellion, and it's Jesus. This series is called War, and so I thought it was appropriate to kind of read this verse in Matthew 18, 7, which is a, I mean, I think, here's the thing that I love about the Bible, is it's just so explicit. I mean, Jesus, like, he, he's not this fairy tale, like, guy in the sky shooting bows and arrows at people. Okay, and I know that we have this perfect painting of him. I genuinely believe Jesus was a man's man. Man, he had dirt on his hands. He had a, dude, he had a beard. Like, that's why I'm trying. He had a beard. He, he was a man's man, and he, you know what he did? He, he stood up to things. He called them out for what they were. And so in Matthew 18, 7 through 9, he says this. Woe to the world for temptations to sin. So he's saying, listen, temptations are going to come. Keep reading. For it is necessary that temptations come. But woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. So he's saying it's, it's necessary that it's going to, it's got to come. Sin's in the world now. It's going to come. But he says, if it's coming to you, watch out. Be careful. Understand how sin works. <laughs> And then he goes in, and, and it's a gruesome part of, of the text. And he says this, And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. What? It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. Wow. Okay, is he meaning literally? <laughs> Dang, I just stole something last week. I gotta go home and chop my hand off. No. He's, you guys know what a hyperbole is? He's using explicit language to, to demonstrate a point. It's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, this is how serious we need to be with fighting sin. As soon as you say, hey, you know what? It's not a big deal. What I'm doing is not a big deal. It's the moment that you buy into it, and it's the moment that you give in, and then it's the moment that it takes over. And then you walk, step back, and you go, well, how did I get here? My dad and I were talking about this this morning. He reminded me of this quote, and it simply says this. Is, sin will keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, and it will make you do things that you never thought that you would do. Man, you think it's just that one-time thing. And, and then five years from now, you find yourself in a situation and you ask yourself the question, how did I get here? It, it's because we ignored those little things, those little warnings. The scripture is clear. Woe to the one that temptation comes. With Adam and Eve as our example, we see how temptation, when not submitted to Christ, leads to sin and leads to destruction. So, so here's the question with this text. When he says, man, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. So, so here's the question that I have for you this morning. As we kind of bring this to a close. 
Now that we see how sin works, here's the question. Are we going to allow God to do what he needs to do? So it's very practical. If you keep falling into sin, are there some things that you simply just need to remove from your life? You know, it may sound drastic, but honestly, what Jesus is saying, he says, listen, if it keeps you out of hell, then do it. Man, if it keeps you from ruining your marriage and your relationships and your jobs, man, get it out of your life. Man, if, if you've got an addiction to pornography or whatever it is, like, is it worth it for you to throw the TV away? Get it out of your room. I know it sounds so simple. Like, if you have a problem with getting together and, man, you're, you're like a womanizer and you have a problem with just staying faithful to your wife, is it necessary for you to get rid of your phone so you don't have that temptation anymore? We say this all the time. The whole reason as a pastor, for me, I don't travel alone. In our offices, all of our pastors have glass doors. You can look in and you can see in all of our doors. And, and here's the thing. It's not that I don't trust myself. It's I don't trust sin. I'm just as susceptible to anything like you are. So, so, so here's the question. Is possibly the reason that you keep giving in to sin is because you're not willing to cut things out of your life? It may not be as spiritual as you think it is. It may be quite practical. Man, I need to get rid of this. My, my wife and I, um, we both have really extreme personalities. Like, really extreme. It's, it's love each other, then it's like, if we're going to argue, we go at it, and then we settle, and it's done. There's, but one of the things that we've done throughout the years is like, man, if we see ourselves falling in, man, I'm just, we're watching too much TV. Or we're, we're, like, we're, we ripped the cord out. Like, what do you need to do? But here's the second half of this. So we can get all practical and say, are there things that you need to cut out of your life? But I want you to know this. You can even go to that extreme and it's still not work if your heart is not in the right spot. Because if you still have a sin issue and it's still invading your heart and your thoughts and your wants and your desires, what happens? You don't plug the TV, but if you're still dealing with it, you're going to plug it back in, right? And you, you need your heart to become well. You need your soul to become well. And the only way that that happens is Jesus. It's through Jesus. It's through Jesus. Listen, in, in Genesis, we see when they fall into temptation, what do they do? Do they run to God or do they run away from Him? They run away from Him. Do they hide? They sow fig leaves on. Man, for a, back of, for a lack of a better word, don't do that. It's dumb. God knows where you're at. He knows what you're walking through. He knows what you're dealing with. He knows your situation. He's not shocked by your past. He doesn't look down on us and say, oh, man, can't deal with that one. They've done some really bad stuff. It's not how he treats us. What does he do when he finds out? He's where are you? Where are you? Come to me. I'll give you everything that you need. I'll take care of you. Listen, lean into Jesus. Press into Jesus. 
He's our only hope. He's our only hope. You can't find it in yourself. And you can read all the self-help books that you want, and it's not going to do you a single thing. Let me close with this one example. How many of you guys in here um, have ever tried a diet? It doesn't work, does it? Uh, well, let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. It kind of works, right? Like you can, you can lose some weight or for, like you can get healthy. But if it's just like a, a simple thing of like, man, I just want to lose weight. I'm going to diet. Uh, I'm going to take, I'm not going to eat. I'm going to take pills. <laughs> well, the reason you're losing weight is because you're not eating. You're starving yourself. But it would be totally different if you say, you know what, I'm going to change my habits. I'm going to change the way that I eat. I'm going to change the way that I do all these things that you create a lifestyle of. It's a totally different thing. It'll stick. It'll work. Listen, don't walk out. I, this is what I, I beg of you. Do not hear this from me this morning. Don't walk out of here and say, you know what? I just got to do better. I just got to resist the temptation to slower. You need the Holy Spirit. You need God to invade your 